This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey everyone, I hope you had a great Christmas. I'm excited to bring you today's episode. I think it's so perfect for the starting the new year off right. I'm interviewing today Lauren Riker. She's a dietitian and the founder of Renovate Your Plate. So today we're talking about intuitive eating. We're talking about our relationships with food and our bodies. And I think you're going to hear some things that you may never have heard before. And trust me, if you're looking to have a better relationship with food and your body this year, this is the episode for you. I loved chatting with Lauren about this, especially as someone who struggled with these issues myself. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Lauren, thank you so much for joining the Worth Your Time podcast today. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, Lauren Riker is who we're talking to today, and she is the she's a dietitian and the founder and owner of a very cool business called Renovate Your Plate, which we're going to talk a lot about. Uh, but before we do that, Lauren, can you just give us a bit of your background, where you're from, um, just a few fun details about you? Absolutely. Um, so I was born and raised in Indianapolis, and I went to Ball State University, where I um, became or I studied to become a registered dietitian. And um, I had a few various jobs throughout uh, my career, but I started Renovate Your Plate in 2014. Um, a few other fun facts. I have a dog named Breck. She's sitting right next to me. Uh, and I just got married in June. Well, congratulations. I saw some of your wedding pictures and they were absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you. So I'm always curious what inspires people to start their own businesses because they say that it's, you know, one of the hardest things to do is to be an entrepreneur and that you have to work basically nonstop, but hopefully it's something you're passionate about. Can you tell us a bit about why you decided to go out on your own rather than maybe pursuing a dietetics job within a hospital or another practice? That's a great question. So I have to give my mother credit because she had her own business growing up. And I saw that and I was like, yeah, I think I want that. I want that flexibility. Um, and then I also have a sister who she started her own business a few years before I did. So it, it does run in our blood. Um, however, I started Renovate Your Plate kind of on a whim. I was working at the YMCA and um, the job, they, they cut the nutrition department actually. And it pushed me to just try new things. And so I started Renovate Your Plate really just to kind of um, have a way for people to work with me one-on-one -on -one, um, because tons of people were constantly asking me to help them, you know, meal prep or meal plan and all that stuff. And so this just helped me um, give them a way to do that. And then over the years, Renovate Your Plate really evolved from the standard nutrition, weight loss, um, set up to, um, to eating disorders, which I'm sure we'll go into in a little bit. So your business, do you focus exclusively or specifically on people that are struggling with eating disorders? 
Yes. So um, it, it is a wide range. So um, I would say about 50% of my clients struggle with eating disorders. And the other 50% um, are just looking to improve their relationship with food. Um, and that can look a lot of different ways. It can look like, um, you know, maybe they have had a history of chronic dieting. Maybe they just really want to improve their nutrition intake. Um, but overall, they're looking to find freedom with food. And what was the inspiration behind you creating this business and then, you know, honing in on that specific subgroup of people? I know that you have um, a background in this. Can you just tell us a little bit about your personal story and what led you to study dietetics and be passionate about um, women finding a healthy relationship with food and a healthy relationship with their bodies and and finding a peace that so many women really want to have? Yes, absolutely. So um, as a dietitian, I worked for several different wellness companies um, before taking on the eating disorder role. Um, And I think that my past uh, with my own struggles with food um, really led me to the role I'm in now. And as a dietitian, we have so much pressure. I mean, as a dietetic student, we have so much pressure to be the perfect eater. And little did I know that the perfect eater does not exist. (laughs) So throughout um, high school and just, you know, really taking an interest in nutrition and exercise, um, I got my first job at a Curves for women, and I absolutely loved it. And uh, I just started to really take weight loss seriously, and I started to um, help other women lose weight. And um, I'm sure most women listening to this podcast can relate, but weight loss is very addicting. Um, and you know, it's addicting to be able to control what you put in your mouth and, you know, how many miles you run. And, um, and I could go on and on and about that. Um, but that started in high school and it, it went well into college where I just was very, very obsessed with, um, you know, what I ate and how much I worked out. Um, and not just to spare the, spare the details, um, it, it really took a, a wake-up call to realize that I didn't want to live like that. I didn't want to have to count every morsel that went into my mouth that, you know, they say that we need to treat our bodies as if it's a temple. And I think a lot of times we forget the aspect that our mind is part of that. And so... I just had to take a really, you know, hard look at, you know, what I wanted and what I wanted my relationship with food to look like. So um, as I went into becoming a dietitian, um, I, you know, I started to get help with that. And um, it was the best thing I did. I mean, I started, I actually technically started seeing a therapist in high school. um, And then until, you know, I was a dietitian. So um, I started working with a therapist and it was super helpful. Um, I came to the realization that there was another way to live and other way to use food and a more beneficial way. And so as I became a dietitian, I worked for several different weight loss companies. I worked for, um, you know, hospital in town and I was helping people with disease management and weight loss, but I, I really realized that I wasn't helping them become healthier. I was really just helping them obsess over what they were eating. And so it fell in my lap, um, an opportunity to contract with two local mental health practices here in Indy. 
um, Northside Mental Health and Mindful Me. And um, it was an opportunity that I was definitely a God thing. Uh, I was looking on a Facebook post of, of potential job opportunities and it popped up. And I got an interview the next week and they offered me the job on the spot. So it was, um, it was perfect timing. And so I took it. I've been working at those practices through Renovate Your Plate for three years now. Um, I've worked with hundreds of women um, improving their relationship with food. And generally the framework that I use, um, depending on where they're at in their, in their stage of an eating disorder or chronic dieting, I generally start with um, intuitive eating at some point um, to, to transition them into normal eating and, and just create that healthy relationship with food. Um, so I love what I do. It's super challenging, um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So when women uh, come to you through those practices, the mental health practices that are struggling with eating disorders, what kind of um, – do you sense fear? What What's the, the uh, approach that they have when they're – when they're speaking with you for the first time, what do you find are the biggest fears um, and, and how do you deal with those? Absolutely. Definitely fear is an underlier. Um, our society makes it super difficult to um, trust our bodies and um, eat what feels good and what sounds good. Um, so the statistics of, with dieting is just insane. So 90% of women are either currently dieting or diet often. Um, and it's became the norm in our society to obsess over food and obsess over our bodies. Um, but the downside to that is that one in four of those women go on to develop an eating disorder. And so I think I feel there's a, I have a huge responsibility in educating women, especially mothers of, of daughters and, and, and boys too. I mean, eating disorders are, are, you know, they, they, they don't, um, they are in men and women. So, um, I think that my responsibility is to educate that an eating disorder, it really does stem from diet culture. Um, and you know, not all eating disorders, um, look the same. Uh, not all people struggling with an eating disorder, it, it's not always obvious. They're not, you know, always super thin. Um, you can't always tell that they're struggling. And so I think that my responsibility is to educate everyone on, you know, what do eating disorders look like? How do they start? Um, and so fear is definitely a big, 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 big um, part of just really trusting your body and um, because diet culture teaches us that we shouldn't trust our body, that it's more accurate to put what you've eaten in an app and have an app tell you what to eat versus, you know, listening to your hunger and fullness cues. And so you mentioned intuitive eating, which is like your biggest thing that you, it seemed to push at least on your social media account. And I, and I love your social media memes um, that you put up. They're very um, thought provoking. If anyone's looking for, uh, ways to have a healthy relationship with your body or your food, I would definitely follow Lauren on Instagram, which we'll put that in the show notes. Um, but can you just explain for those that maybe don't know, what is intuitive eating? Great question. How much time do I have? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, so intuitive eating is essentially it's, it's how we were born to eat. 
um, as children um, or as newborns, we were born intuitive eaters. Uh, so essentially what it is, is honoring your hunger and fullness cues. So it sounds more simple than it is, but through diet culture, um, you know, we've been taught that hunger is a bad thing and there's a lot of tools and products out there that cause us to ignore our hunger cues, appetite suppressants being one. Um, you know, if counting calories, if you're hungry and you've already eaten your ca- all your calories for the day, well, too bad. Um, so it's really going back to the basics of listening to your body, eating when you're hungry, um, and then stopping when you're satisfied. However, that's only a very small part of intuitive eating. It's actually made up of 10 principles of um, everything from hunger, fullness to making peace with food, um, honoring your body as far as movement goes. And then at the very end, there is a principle um, regarding nutrition. And so once you've made peace with food and you can remove that judgment, then you can start talking a little bit about nutrition and how it can benefit your body. But that's generally the very last piece of the puzzle. And then another aspect that I I forgot to mention um, is, is respecting your body and your genetics Mm-hmm. Um, which is really, really difficult, um, especially when there's just so much pressure to look a certain way in our culture. So it is very, um, there's a lot of, of content to intuitive eating. There's a, I, I use a book um, that's written by two dietitians, and then also there's a workbook that you can work alongside a coach. I highly recommend if it's something that someone is interested in, you know, they can check it out. Um, but to have someone have a voice of reason to work through the book and the workbook with only because it is super challenging to work through all of your, you know, dieting history, um, you know, your body image struggles. It's not something you would want to just do alone. Yeah. I mean, I I think people even that don't haven't technically had eating disorders, there's a rare woman who doesn't have some kind of, you know, internal issue regarding weight and body. And I, I like what you said about respecting your genetics. I think that is something I don't hear a lot of people talking about and right. um, something that doesn't ever come into the conversation about diets and exercise. also noticed that you promote is really having grace for yourself and forgiveness. So for example, you would put up a meme that said something about like, um, you know, I was perfect all week and then I, you know, binged all weekend. Now I have to be perfect again on Monday um, and then it said, right. um, the reason that you binged all weekend is because you tried to be perfect all week. And then, you know, right. also on that same note, um, something else about you don't need to punish yourself for having binged. You just, you know, keep moving, keep moving on. So I guess there's a couple questions here. One is, um, you know, why do people binge eat? I know binge eating was a big part of my personal um, problem with, I know I had a variety of eating disorders, but that was certainly one that took up the majority of my years with it. Um, why do people binge eat? And, um, also what, um, what can they do to, you know, recover when that happens and and, Mm -hmm. and move on without Mm -hmm. being angry at themselves, without punishing themselves? Absolutely. Great question. So, and I, and, and like you, Erica, that was one of my biggest struggles as well. Um, when I was struggling with an eating disorder or multiple, uh, so I think the biggest thing for people to rec- to recognize is that 
the binge episode is actually is the end of a series of of a pattern. So if that makes it doesn't make sense, but let me explain. So generally you binges don't happen unless there is restriction. So that can look a little different for different people. However, generally restriction involves either with food or emotion. So let's say you've counted your calories all week or you've been um and if you could see me right now in quotations, if you've been quote unquote good <laughs> all week and then you decide that you want to have a cheat meal, um, that is a form of restriction. Um, not allowing yourself to eat what sounds good or honoring hunger fullness is a form of restriction, which that cheat meal can turn into a binge. And so diet culture essentially promotes that restriction binge cycle, but we don't hear it in those terms as a consumer. We don't hear the word restriction, don't hear the word binge, um, we think that that's just how we should take care of ourselves. Um, at least that's how, you know, I was, I was, um, trying to do when I was trying to, to count my calories and whatnot. So just generally, if someone out there is listening and if you're binging or overeating to the point that you feel ill, that's because there was restriction involved. Um, now on the flip side of that, you'll, I'll have clients where they'll say, well, I've been eating, I'm not restricting. Well, how much are you judging yourself for what you're eating? So if you're, maybe you are eating, you know, a variety of foods and you know, you're not, you're not, you don't really care about the nutritional content, but after you eat it, you judge yourself for it and you have a lot of shame and guilt for what you've eaten. Um, that, that can have the same effect. That can be a form of restriction. Um, another form of restriction could be emotional restriction. Uh, maybe, you know, you're super busy, you have a lot on your plate, um, you're experiencing some emotions, but you're just pushing them away. Um, that's a form of emotional restriction, which can then play out in with the food. So you could binge on food or you could, you know, have, we all have breakdowns, but you could have emotional binge as well. So um, it, it can look a lot of different ways. And that's kind of part of my job is to help identify what's going on, um, what's causing the binges. Um, and to answer your question, as far as when, let's say you do binge on food, um, the best way to move on with that is not to go back to saying, well, I ate so much last night, I'm not going to eat breakfast and, you know, I'm not going to eat lunch. Um, you know, I got to be good today because I binged yesterday. Or for those that maybe can't use the, can't relate to the term binge, I was really bad yesterday. You hear a lot of women say that um, I was really quote unquote bad or I, you know, I overdid it yesterday. So I got to get back on track today. Well, getting back on track usually is some sort of restriction. So not honoring your body and that is just leading you down the same path all over again. Um, so it's, it's, you got to think of it as um, the best way I can explain it is a pendulum. So if you think of a pendulum and if you take that pendulum too far to one side, one side being maybe restriction and the other side being binging or overeating, that all or nothing approach, it's always, if you pull it back too far, it's going to go back the other direction. Um, so we want to keep it in the middle. Uh, and that's what intuition can offer. It can teach you how to keep that pendulum right in the middle. So you're not going back and forth between restricting and binging. Right. And that, and, um, not re respecting your body can also be like the over exercising is, is another thing that yes. people do a lot as a compensation for overeating or binging. I know that was a big part of my story. And 
It's so right. it's so clear to me looking back. I, I remember so many days where um, I had you know these horrific binges, and then like literally, I would not eat the whole next day. And then it would just, I mean, it was like an extreme version of what you're talking about. And um, it's so obvious to me now how dumb that was. But um, it took many years to learn it and understand it. Um, Yeah. I wanted to also ask you, um, is food is not supposed to be, is food supposed to be connected to your emotions? Like, isn't food, like technically, if you have a healthy relationship with food, supposed to be a non-emotional item? (laughs) Well, see, that's super tricky because I think that diet culture wants us to think that, that, you know, you just nourish your body um, appropriately and it doesn't really care. Don't even pay attention to how you feel. Um, But the biggest thing that I teach my clients is that food can be a way, a a way to seek comfort. Um, There is a, you know, a process in our body that when we eat, whether we're hungry or not, we release dopamine. So it's going to make us feel good no matter how we spin it. Um, now some people are, un, you know, emotional or stress under eaters. Some people are emotional and stress over eaters. And so the same, it's not the same mechanism, but it's similar when we don't eat. Um, we also release dopamine. So like if we restrict long periods of time without eating, our body releases dopamine. So it different people kind of find different ways for a coping skill to just ultimately feel better. So I tell a lot of my clients that emotional eating and stress eating is totally acceptable. Uh, It just can't be your only way to cope with high stress, high emotion. So I joke with clients and when I do talks, I always joke that, you know, every time if I was stressed out or emotional and I bought a purse, uh, we'd have some issues because my whole office or probably whole house would be full of purses. So it's the same concept that, you know, with any coping skill, whether it's, um, eating when you're stressed or drinking or, you know, sleeping or shopping, you know, how they talk retail therapy. Um, it's the same concept. You just have to have multiple coping skills. Um, and, and there's a little bit, there's a few, actually there's a lot of effective coping skills, um, that you can choose from. So just having that toolbox of options and, you know, eating could be one, but deep breathing, yoga, prayer, meditation, um, you know, are also, if not more effective. Okay. So hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. I want to ask you about a couple of trendy things. Um, what do you think of, of diets like Whole30, um, keto, paleo? I know that I have a, a friend of mine criticized, who's a dietitian as well. She criticized Whole30 and a bunch of people came back at her saying, well, no, Whole30 is it's not what you think it is. It's all about, you know, finding out what your body, you know, isn't tolerating well. And so what are your thoughts on Whole30? Well, I find, so personally, before I became a dietitian, this was several years ago, I did Whole30. Uh, And so I can speak on it on a personal level. And if there's any rule associated with the way you eat, I am not going to be a fan of it. Now, the one ex- ex- exception that I have is that if you have an extreme medical condition, then that may require you to be on an extreme diet. However, over time, it has turned into a, a weight loss or a diet um, industry. Um, so 
personally, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I think that you could find out what works for you and your body without following a 30 day challenge. Um, because I think that the, what do people do after that 30 days? There's no way to transition back to normal eating. Um, and I think just, I can speak for myself and, and several of my clients that after doing whole 30, um, it's left them with more questions, um, and more issues with their gut than they had before. Okay. And what do you think about the phrase, strong is the new skinny. Do you like that? Or is that another bad thing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I mean, you know, if, if people can latch onto a mantra and it makes them feel good, I say go for it. Um, I hate classifying bodies. I think that's the biggest issue I have with it is why do you have to be strong or skinny? Like, can you just be you, you know? So um, you know, I don't hate it. I, I don't think I'm going to go around and talk about it, but <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, what I, one thing I've noticed is, you know, it, there's been a shift at least in some circles from wanting to be skinny to wanting to be strong right. to somewhat of an obsession of being lean now. So people are right. eating and, you know, they are, you know, working out and being healthy, quote, healthy, but now it's like, oh, who can be lean and who can look strong? And I noticed myself kind of getting, into a place where I really wanted to look lean. Um, you know, this is like a CrossFit, I go to CrossFit and that's, you know, kind of big in that community. And, uh, before I had my baby, uh, this year, before I got pregnant, I was, you know, at a place where I, you know, was pretty in liking the way that I looked. And now here I am and I'm still 10 pounds up, up from my pre-pregnancy weight. And I've just kind of decided for now that I'm just not, I'm not going to care about that and not going to obsess over the lean thing because it's just, it doesn't seem like a healthy mindset to have, especially for someone that has a, an eating disorder past. So I didn't right. think that was a trend you had seen coming up in other places as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're so right that a lot of, I've seen a lot of accounts on Instagram where they've, they've transitioned out of an eating disorder and into counting macros and, you know, and, and having a really strict workout regimen. I don't, you know, I try to be curious without judgment about it, but you can be equally obsessed with, like you said, being lean and being toned than being skinny. So I think just really checking in with, you know, mentally and emotionally and also physically, you know, is it best for you and is it provide, is it life giving? Um, yeah, I whether, think, yeah, no. go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're fine. Um, I was just thinking, you know, checking in, it depends on the person, but it, is it life giving? Is this, you know, helping me and my family and friends become better or is it stressing me out? Um, so that's, that's the biggest question I would say. Yeah, I think it's so individualized because there are many people who have a fairly healthy relationship with food and exercise and they can do things like that and it doesn't affect them. But then there are others who, you know, need to take stock of their histories and their emotions. And mm-hmm. I do think it's a very personal thing. I don't think it's a decision that should be taken lightly if you, de- lightly if you decide that you want to count macros or do Whole30 or try something new or extreme, um, I think people kind of just do those things willy-nilly without understanding that they could have more long-term repercussions or maybe mess up their relationship or emotions about food and body even more than they already are. Yes, that's such a good point. Absolutely. Um, 
realizing that whether you're on a fad diet or, you know, counting calories or, or whatever, whatever lifestyle changes that you're, you're trying to make, um, really taking in consideration that, you know, it, it can really alter your life. Um, and it can make you, you know, think about food and your body differently. And, and, you know, I think some people can benefit from it, but, um, eating disorder or not, I do think that, um, it's important to look at how it could, you know, change your perspective on it for sure. So do you feel for yourself that you're a hundred percent free from those issues and worries personally? I think that's a great question. Uh, and my clients ask me this all the time. (laughs) I, I really, I'm actually, when I take a step back and I think about how my mind, um, surrounded, you know, how my mind was constantly surrounding food and exercise. Um, I like kind of flabbergasted how much I don't think about food in a negative way, how I, I just look at food as being nourishment and enjoy enjoyment and how I, I have so much more time because I'm not obsessing over what I'm eating or how much I'm exercising. Um, and I look at exercise as a way to move my body that feels good. Um, if I have any shame or guilt associated with food or body or movement, um, it's, I just try to be super curious without judgment. So you play what's going on because generally that means that something else in my life is feeling off. And so I'm trying to channel all that energy into controlling something. Um, and so I, I lying to say if it, it, that it does, um, from time to time, I think the difference is now I just have the skills to combat it and recognize, you know, what it is, um, versus falling into that trap of the all or nothing mindset. Yeah, it takes, it can take many years to acquire (laughs) sometimes those skills. Um, but I, I totally feel you on that. And I, I feel, you know, I gen, I usually say I am, I feel like I'm pretty much a hundred percent free from those things. Um, but I, you know, can occasionally have those moments that are tough and, um, mm-hmm. I feel like I do the same thing as you, where I'm able to kind of take, uh, take that perspective and, you know, work out all the many years I've had of dealing with this and put some rationality to it. And, you know, all of a sudden it's not that big of a deal, but it can take practice and it can take, um, education yeah. and learning how this, um, how this can work and how you can deal with it in your life. Okay. So. What do you think? I wanted to actually tack this onto that. Um, what are some things that you did to come out of that pl- that kind of dark place that you were in with an eating disorder? Um, because you don't just one day are in the darkness and the next day you're in the light. It, it's a process. And so, how did you take those steps to go from one place to the next? Great question. So, I started to recognize in college that. too much of my time and too much of my uh, brain power was going towards food and exercise. And so I had been, like I mentioned earlier, I had been in therapy in high school. Um, and I tried to, I, I was kind of curious about what it was going on with my relationship with food, but my therapist wasn't super uh, trained in eating disorders. So, um, but I did see, I did see a therapist in high school and then I saw one in college and my college therapist, really just helped me unpack, um, what that looked like. Um, and so by no means that he was, you know, 
a magician or anything like that. But he was just asking me the difficult questions um, to, to understand, you know, what an eating disorder was and, um, you know, the different um, behaviors associated with an eating disorder. And, and um, so just be, I think awareness overall was super helpful in, in having that uh, mental health component because at the end of the day, it's a disease. And so um, you do need the proper treatment to recover. And then just lots and lots of support. Um, I thankfully had a lot of friends that did not struggle with an eating disorder. And so I had a great example of what normal eating looked like and what normal exercise looked like. And so that was super helpful. Um, And then a lot of self-education. So I read a ton of books. Um, Eight Keys to Recovery is a really, really good book that I highly recommend. Um, And there are a lot of books out I'm actually staring at my um, my bookshelf right now. Um, but there are a lot of books out there, especially for women um, with with children. So mothers that are looking for maybe some um, some literature on how to prevent eating disorders. Um, I, I can give a ton of resources on that. But yeah, so a combination of having the right professional guidance and then also a support system was huge. Do you have any stories of clients that you've seen come out of it themselves from after working with you come out of an eating disorder to a place of, you know, health and fulfillment and freedom? Yes. Thankfully, if I, if I hadn't had success stories, I don't know if I would be in this industry. Um, but yes, I have seen so many women, um, come out of an eating disorder and are living a fulfilled life. Um, I will say that the longer you're in an eating disorder, the harder it is, I mean, with any disease, the harder it is to recover. But I think that a lot of times women minimize their situation and years and years go by and then that's even more difficult to recover. Do you find that people have a hard time accepting that an eating disorder is a mental illness, that it is a disease? Because I know for me, I still sometimes even have that struggle where I'm like, yeah, but it's like I'm doing it. And it's hard to accept that it's something that is not 100% in your control. Right. Well, and I think that the biggest phrase that we use is that you didn't choose to have an eating disorder, but you can choose recovery. Mm -hmm. So I think that there are definitely aspects to it that are in your control. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, it's it's actually the um, leading cause of death in the, as far as mental illness goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's tricky because we are living in a culture with an eating disorder. <laughs> so it's super hard to recover when you are, I just had a client yesterday who is doing really, really well, but she was like, now that I am familiar with what diet talk sounds like or eating disorder talk sounds like I can't go a whole day without hearing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you're, you know, for clients that are trying to, you know, make good choices and, and treat their body kindly, but they're hearing all of this garbage, it's super hard to, to work through that and do what you have to do. So always a debate about, you know, it, can you be healthy and be overweight? What is your opinion on that question? So the, the practice that I follow is health at every size. And that's not necessarily saying it's not healthy at every size. You have to look at the behaviors of the person and how they're caring for their, themselves and not just the size of the person. Um, so I don't, 
you know, I can't look at a person, whether they're thin or overweight and say that they're healthy or not healthy. And none of us can. So I think we have to really look at a deeper, uh, we have to take a deeper look, you know, what are their labs look like? You know, are they getting adequate movement? And, um, so I think that as far as my experience is that I will have a thin client go into the doctor's office and they get told that they're, you're doing great. You're taking such good care of yourself. Your weight is appropriate. And then they leave there and they're like, well, I still am, you know, purging every meal or, you know, I am exercising obsessively. And then I'll have a client who takes really good care of themselves who doesn't purge or, you know, exercises appropriately. And then their doctor says, well, you, you know, you're not healthy. You need to lose weight. And so I, it's just super difficult to assume that because of the size of the body that that's how we can't assume how they're taking care of themselves. So hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. Okay. Lauren, tell us a little bit more about what, what all do you provide with renovate your plate? And you also have something else that you've been doing this dinner monthly dinner club. So tell us a little bit more about that and uh, what people can find if they hop on your website. Awesome. Yeah. So Renovate Your Plate offers one-on-one um, -on -one individual sessions um, that I work out of three offices, one in Broad Ripple, Carmel, and Greenwood for those local folks. Um, I do also do group um, sessions. So whether that's intuitive eating courses or support groups, I lead an intensive outpatient program um, with Mindful Me um, in the evenings. And then, um, I also do corporate presentations, um, and, and public speaking. So I do a lot of lunch and learns. I just went last week to the children's museum and talked about ditching the diet mentality there. That was super fun. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty much open to anything. Um, I just started, you, you mentioned the dinner club. I just started a, um, kind of a, a girl gang group is like what we like to call it. Um, it's called hive and it is local for Indianapolis women. We're just looking to bring women together. I think with social media, we're, you know, we're constantly scrolling and looking at other people, but I, th I think it would be awesome to learn more about the small businesses that we have here. Um, and then not to mention who doesn't love to eat, um, and enjoy a meal together and, and great conversation. So we have a monthly dinner club on Tuesday evenings. Um, and it's kind of twofold. We support a local restaurant and then we also have local business babes that get, get up and talk and introduce themselves. So, um, it just started, we just had our first one last month and we're actually meeting for coffee, um, next weekend. So I think we have a lot in store for the, um, for that group. It's called, if you want to follow it on Instagram, it's at hive.community. Well, I'm looking forward to joining you guys. If not next month or if not December, then, um, then definitely in hopefully January or February, I'm going to do it. Okay. Yay! So just a few more questions here at the end. I like to toss in some fun ones here. Uh, what's one good piece of advice you'd like to pass on? Oh, wow. I've said it a couple of times, but I learned this from a, my um, colleague who is a therapist that I work very closely with, and she often says this, and I've kind of taken it <laughs> upon myself to start telling other people, but just to be curious without judgment. 
Uh, I think that we tend to judge ourselves. Uh, we, you know, there's so much pressure to get stuff done and to, you know, look cute and, um, you know, be a great mother. And and there's just so much pressure. So I know there's a quote going out right now that is like, don't break a promise to yourself. And I find that really hard to swallow because, you know, be curious of just be curious to why you were breaking that promise. You know, maybe that promise just wasn't realistic in the first place. And so I recommend just be curious, ask yourself questions um, instead of just automatically assume that you did something wrong. I think that can go for many things in life and other people that you're dealing with. Uh, Absolutely. Do you have a TV show, a book or a podcast that you've been loving or that you could recommend? Oh, wow. So I have been obsessed with Up and Vanished. Um, oh. Never thought I would be a cold cold case or true crime fan, but I love Up and Vanished with the podcast. And then um, a show that me and my husband have been watching, I think it's called A Million Little Things. Uh-huh. Um, it's so good and it brings light to suicide and just mental health in general. Um, I really, really love that what show. What channel is that on? Oh dear. Uh, we watch it on Hulu. So I'm okay. not sure. I, I want to say ABC maybe, but okay. I could be wrong. I'm going to link that and I'm going to try it because I can't resist when someone recommends a show. Oh, <laughs> it's so, it's so good. Okay. So I came up with this one, especially for you since we were talking about food. If you had one last meal to eat in your whole life, what would it be? I thought you were going to ask me this one. Um, <laughs> Um, I, you know, when I read that question, my first thing was who would I want to eat with? Mm, I like that. Uh, yeah. And so I would definitely say my husband and my parents and my sister. And if I could, you know, have my whole, you know, all of my grandparents and aunts and uncles, that would be fantastic too. But, um, as far as the food goes, man, that's the one thing that I struggle with. I love so much food, but I would probably say, oh, oh man, probably brunch. You brunch. get a combination of sweet and savory. I'm in. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good answer. I, I, <laughs> I'd have to think a lot, a lot harder about it. I don't have an answer right now, but uh, I know it's hard. It is really hard. Okay. What's a food that brings back a good memory for you? So the one food that popped up in my brain was uh, biscuits and gravy. Here I am on a breakfast. breakfast (laughs) Now I'm really hungry. Uh, (laughs) My grandpa used to make us biscuits and gravy every Sunday, and we used to eat a family breakfast. Um, And so that brings a lot of good memories. So I'd probably probably say the good old um, biscuits and gravy. Yeah, my dad used to make those all the time when I was a kid, and that is a definitely a good memory for me as well. Okay, last yeah. question. Are there any nonprofits that you like to support or you'd want to promote and just give a shout-out to? Oh, man. I have to – I, I guess I could – You can say more than one. one. More than one. Okay. Okay, so um, the National Suicide Prevention, um, that is a big one. Um, we just need more and more people spreading awareness. Um, I – I give money to uh, the Humane Society because if I could, I would adopt all the dogs and <laughs> I would just have like a huge reser- you know, reservation with all these dogs, but I can't do that. Um, and then a local uh, nonprofit, Trace Fashion, um, they're making blazers for women. They're super comfortable. I, I can't wait 
Um, but they are uh, an organization helping empower women um, in the adult entertainment industry, um, just giving women that are trying to transition out of that industry a job. And I think it's such an awesome, awesome mission. So um, definitely go follow them on Instagram and, and buy a blazer. All right, cool. Well, I just love hearing about what people like to support. And there's so many great nonprofits out there, both small and large. So I think it's always fun to be able to give them a little bit of a shout out if we can. So thank you so much, Lauren, for talking to me today and doing your, you said this was your first podcast interview, right? It was. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited. So I'm a, I'm a newbie too in podcast world, as you know. So Um, Everyone, we will have all of the details and things that we mentioned in the show notes at ericaanderson.com. All of the episodes are up there um, with a picture and links and ways that you can get in touch with Lauren and her website and all of that. So thanks so much. And we'll see you next time on Worth Your Time. Well, thanks for joining us this week, you guys. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Lauren. I think she has a lot of really good things to say, things that we're not hearing in regular culture most of the time. Um, I liked a lot of what she had to say about diets, Whole30, um, some of those things. So I hope you took away some things from it. Check the show notes for all the resources and the things that we mentioned. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, will you please consider leaving a rating or review over on iTunes? I would love that. It means so much to me to help get it out there. And it just takes about one minute to do it. So just search your podcast app and search for worth your time. Leave a rating review. I have my little helper here today, Jacob. Jacob, you want to say hi? Hi. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.